and welcome into Mining Stock Daily. Joining me today is our friend Chris Temple of the National Investor, and I've invited Chris back onto the show. Uh, this is going to be an interesting conversation and one that uh, I wanted to record and have based on my own somewhat, I guess you could say, research, curiosity, and just kind of themes that I've been stumbling on, not only listening to commentary throughout well, the internet and also listening to other analysis uh, from people like Chris and others throughout the uh, financial and economic realm of podcast and, and articles and commentary, but also from books I've been reading. Uh, so Chris, uh, thanks for joining us. Welcome back to Mining Stock Daily. Oh, my, my pleasure, Trevor. It's always fun. Hey, I, so the theme I wanted to chat with you today, and this is going to be somewhat of uh, a different feel than what we usually produce here on the show. I wanted to ask you in the context of the U.S. dollar, and one of the things that you know I remember originally back to why I originally um, reached out to you and asked you to come on the show the first time is because I had listened to a lot of your uh, editorial comments specifically with Corey Fleck on the KE Report, uh, who I uh, love that show and, and adore. And, and uh, please, Corey, keep on going. You're doing an awesome job. Uh, but one of the things that always caught my attention is uh, you always had a really nice foundational sounding board. You didn't lean way far left or way far right. It always had a good foundation. But specifically when it comes to the strength of the dollar right now and where we go from here, you have consistently uh, cried out against the death of the dollar and how you don't see that happening. And then on the weekend show on the KE report, I was listening in. I was actually putting my kids to bed one night and I had it in my ears and I was listening to you. And you had said something that I called profound because I think it really triggered the uh, hippie at heart in me and the, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm, kind of more of an equality for all type of guy before anything else. That's just my nature is as a uh, naive as that may, may, may create me. But um, you had mentioned that a move away from the dollar to something backed by a hard asset such as gold really could be the foundation of a greater chance for world peace for lack of a better word. Um, maybe a little bit of, uh, of a move away from the, uh, you know, problems, the geopolitical problems we see now we're seeing more with China actually. So this really hit a trigger, um, with me. And so I wanted to follow up with you on that idea. And I guess, well, first off, let me ask you why, if you could expand on that thought a little bit more, and then we'll go into a lot more detail here and other questions I have down the road, but let's start there. Well, sure. First of all, Trevor, um, just to clarify one of the comments that you made, uh, someday, and I certainly hope I live to see it, we will see the end of the U.S. dollar as the world's reserve currency. And as I've often pointed out, I say that not because I want to say, oh, goody, now gold is going to go even higher if the U.S. dollar is no longer the world's reserve currency, because when that day comes, our living standards as Americans could well go into the toilet with what the aftermath is going to be if we can no longer compel the entire world to disproportionately mm -hmm. prop up the U.S. dollar, U.S. assets, and the U.S. war machine, not necessarily all in that order. So, you know, someday that's going to happen. I don't know that it's going to be replaced by one or more, quote, asset-backed currencies. Uh, I've explained many, many times over the years why 
in this day and age, it would be impractical, if not mathematically impossible, to have anything but fiat currencies. And I further explained that the problem, even with the U.S. dollar, has nothing to do with it not being backed by gold. The problem with the dollar is it is controlled by a private central bank, and it is issued as debt with interest over the years. And mathematically, that is unsustainable long term. I would, frankly, much prefer to have a system of interest-free social credit, which would be a better currency, more honest, and help the average person more than a gold-backed dollar that we used to have before and after the Federal Reserve was on the scene. So, you know, I, I have a lot of different views on it, which, uh, you know, are, are certainly unconventional in the minds of some gold bugs, especially. But again, I think that the coming end of the dollar is going to be because this whole thing with the Wuhan virus, with accelerating the move away from globalization and the dollar could be a catalyst for this. There's been a lot of calls for the dollar to be replaced by something. Those have been around for years. They mean nothing. Uh, Europe, you know, the euro currency, heck, that was going to be the currency of the Antichrist. You know, the new world currency, the, the revived Roman Empire, it's a basket case compared to the dollar. The Chinese yuan was supposed to be the next big thing. And if you look at all of the uh, charts that show from 2015 and 16 on when the yuan was made a part of the IMF's SDR trading basket, its role in global trade and currency has done nothing but go down for the five or six years since then. So today there is nothing realistically that's going to replace the dollar as much as people might want to see that. Uh, but that day will come. If there was a day where the dollar would be replaced do you think the likelihood would be that it's just replaced by something else that it's fiat rather than backed by something hard or credit like that? Oh, more than likely, yes. Because again, I don't care who you're talking about. And, and look, a, a Russia or a China could come out with their recently bolstered gold reserves and claim that they have got more behind their quote full faith and credit in relative terms than the U.S. does. But the idea that anybody's currency today is going to be backed by or redeemable in any kind of specie, whatever it is, is, is silly. It, it, you know, we're like it or not, we're, we're not in that world anymore. I'm more of the view that the, the type of environment that is most likely coming will involve the U.S. dollar perhaps having still regional hegemony, that it would be the anchor of North and South America, our own hemisphere, but that elsewhere what's left of the euro will continue to pretty much have dominance on that continent and in that area. And then a, a Chinese yuan uh, perhaps in league with a couple other currencies through these relatively new Asian infrastructure and investment banks might take over Asia. Uh, the U.S. dollar will be kicked out of the rest of the places there where we still have any sway. That's really the, of all of the possibilities out there, Trevor, that is the one to me that is most plausible, is that we would see a fragmentation, which frankly goes with the pattern of how things are evolving in the world anyway. 
as everybody in one way or another is retreating from globalization. So I think it's important to go back to the history of the U.S.'s fiat dollar here, Chris, because let's use this more as an educational opportunity here rather than an editorial. But through this fiat system that we have here in the United States and obviously on a global level, um, there's this old saying that we can't go bankrupt because we can then just basically print away, print away any amount of money to keep us out of, of bankruptcy. What would potentially happen is some sort of time of hyperinflation. But as you have mentioned uh, numerous times in the last months, if not years, that hyperinflation is yet to even peak around the corner. If In fact, we may see in time of deflation, which further strengthens your, your, your argument right here. Um, if, if, if hyperinflation isn't an issue uh, and there's no real warning signs at the forefront uh, for the U.S. public right now, why should we argue? I mean, if, what, if, if we continue to go into this debt and we continue to print, what's the, what's the problem here? Well, let me let me point one thing out as far as hyperinflation. What I have what I have explained to people is not that we haven't had hyperinflation. We have had bouts of hyperinflation. But as uh, and anybody who's listening to this, send me an email. I'll send you a free copy of this. I'm about to, uh, for the first time in a while, update one of my signature essays over the years called Understanding the Game, where I explain that. Paul Volcker was a much more pivotal Federal Reserve chairman than people understand because he was the one who affected the transition uh, for our economy, run increasingly by the Fed, to what we have today. And that is where wealth does not start on Main Street. It starts as a first matter on Wall Street and with asset prices, and that in turn is intended to trickle down the Main Street and help the Main Street economy, the opposite of what it, it used to be. So when we have had waves of credit expansions, and really the traditional business cycle has, since the 1980s, been replaced by a credit cycle. You have an expansion of credit and debt and asset prices. Those are the things where we have had hyperinflation. And when they get stretched too far, and especially some catalyst comes along to upset things, then those reverse and you have deflation. So that is really, since the 80s, how you have to understand this whole flation issue. It's, it's not the 1970s cost push inflation that was all about consumer prices and prices to business and things like that. This is a monetary operation solely that the Federal Reserve has given us, where you have a, a big move up in asset prices, boom, down it goes. A bigger one going into 2000, boom, down it goes harder. Now we had a bigger one going into early this year, and boom, we've seen that, that start to reverse. Uh, as time goes on, the Fed tries to push harder against it so that the deflation isn't as bad as it might be otherwise. Someday, we will see some of this trickle down in some ways to consumer prices, but broadly speaking, there are there are more reasons today, as you and I are talking, to be concerned near term about deflation, because the hyperinflation we've already had for the last decade or so, with all of the money printed and all of the asset bubbles inflated following the 2008 bust. So that's where we're at right now. 
again, on the educational level here, Chris, I think it's important to note the flow of this, the, the fiat money, which has recently been created through the $2 trillion stimulus, um, through either the payroll protection plan, the small business loans. You know, you mentioned it a few minutes ago that any sort of money created here in the United States in the form of dollars is basically backed by more debt and interest, right? So the federal, you know, uh, the Treasury creates this money and the Federal Reserve basically just, it sounds like, distributes this money through the fractional banking system, through these banks. But every time it flows from one bank to the other, there's a little bit of percentage of interest added to that. Um just clarify: is, it, is this how is is this is this how it's working? We're conti- even through the stimulus, we're adding just a little bit more debt onto the already uh, drowning <laughs> federal debt we have now. Well, we are, you know, and and one of the things that makes it a bit more manageable is that interest rates have come down to nothing. It's why there is no reasonable expectation that we are going to see any time in the foreseeable future, interest rates go back up to anything resembling what some would call a market level. They can't. The math won't work. I mean, it's hard enough to get everybody to service the debts that are out there now with the weaker economy. Uh, And again, that's the problem with what we have. Uh, This is a whole different subject, but a lot of people incorrectly call what the Fed and, and the government are doing right now modern monetary theory. No, it's not. This is just a softer version of the same, you know, debt-based, usury-based money that we shouldn't have ever had in this country in the first place. So keep in mind that as the Treasury, as the Federal Reserve in their tag team way and in convoluted way that they've created these new special purpose vehicles to give the Fed authority it doesn't legally have otherwise, you know, From top to bottom, and granted we've rallied to this point, the world had lost something on the order of $25 trillion worth just of stock market valuations. Forget everything else. That's just equity valuations. So when a portion of that is replaced by printing up more money and more debts and more extend and pretend, again, that's that's really not inflationary yet because all these central banks are doing is replacing part of what the markets have already vaporized via deflation of those asset prices. So the question is how hard the Fed has to push before it brings back inflation. And I don't know that there is a limit to that, because it's not as if other central banks aren't doing the same thing. As a matter of fact, when you look, for instance, at the size of the Fed's balance sheet, Trevor, compared to every other major central bank on the world, we're the least bad. The other ones are worse. Um, You you look at the value of the dollar recently, and most ominously, as I pointed out uh, in in just the last few days, the level of the trade-weighted U.S. dollar just hit its highest level since the mid-1980s, when the problem was so bad that we got everybody together and, and had the Plaza Accord to deliberately weaken the dollar, which today that's not going to happen, at least by any friendly means. Do you remember, what was it, a year, year ago when all we heard from uh, President Trump was how he needed to devalue the dollar? But you haven't heard much about that from him lately. 
No, and even though the trade weighted dollar just hit an all-time high, you know, maybe somebody finally educated them a little bit, told them to shut up. My my comment all along as far as the dollar has been that when I've heard President Trump at times talk about that and some of the things about trade and everything, I think I'm watching an all-in-the-family rerun, and I'm listening to Archie and Barney Hefner and the guys at Kelsey's Bar venting their spleen. You know, maybe they've identified some problems, surely, on trade and a lot of things regarding China. Trump has been right in calling out some of the problems. But how we got into those problems or what what to do to get out of them, uh, and specifically for our present purposes, how that affects the U.S. dollar's ongoing role as a world's reserve currency, he has utterly no understanding of, of much of, of the nuances of that. So you did mention an interesting topic here, Chris, which I also wanted to kind of talk about because it also plays in line with this role of the U.S. dollar. And that's these, I guess you could call them rumors of now, but there's this ongoing conversation regarding China's $1.1 trillion in U.S. treasuries uh, that they own. And the U.S. basically sounds like might be willing to default on them maybe as a repercussion from the coronavirus epidemic it it it's uh you know from my point of view it doesn't really i don't understand what's serve you know what's it going to serve to do something like that um i just want to get your thoughts here on this this reaction to this rumor and uh if you think that well i mean anything's possible with this administration anymore but uh what do you think uh is the backbone of this and, and what good would it do? I don't think that's going to happen. President Trump one time, several weeks back, maybe even a few months ago now, I don't remember when it was Trevor. He did kind of dance around that possibility. Um, more recently it was Lindsey Graham, the Senator who came out specifically and said, we should default on that debt as a means of, of getting some financial reparation from China for them not, handling this virus properly and infecting the whole world. But at the end of last week, in case you didn't see, both Larry Kudlow, Trump's chief economic advisor, and even the president himself came out and said, no, that's not under consideration. It's not on the table. We want to defend the role of the dollar as the world's reserve currency. We are not going to go down that road. Now, at the same time, the president especially said that he is looking at new tariffs and a host of other measures to extract some concessions or reparations or whatever from China at a later date. But as far as anything to do with defaulting on uh, 1.1 trillion more or less that China reportedly has, that's not that's not under consideration according to them. And I believe them on that. Well, I guess being a simplistic devil's advocate here, I you know, I don't know how to take it because if you think that by the end of this whole thing, we're going to be printing $10 trillion, potentially, which I've heard a number of estimates. You know, isn't that enough to cover that $1.1 trillion default from China? <laughs> well, see, that's the other part of this, Trevor, that, that really is comical when you listen over the years to some of these people saying the whole world's going to dump the dollar, the world's going to dump treasuries, you know, China or Russia or whoever, boy, they're going to show us, they'll sell treasuries and torpedo our market. How the hell can they do that? The Fed will buy whatever anybody's selling. Yeah. I mean, that just that's, that's, that's nonsense. So, you know, the, the point comes when this can't be enforced globally. You know, the Fed can get away with this like every other central bank because the Fed, unlike the rest of them, has a big assist 
from the fact that the world uses the dollar as its reserve currency. 60 or 61% of all foreign exchange reserves are in dollars. A similar part of that is settled internationally of all international trade is in dollars. And somewhere is in a neighborhood of $15 trillion just since the end of the financial crisis in 2008 has been taken out in U.S. dollar-denominated debt by foreign governments and foreign corporations of various kinds and state-owned corporations of foreign entities. So everybody is still up to their eyeballs in the dollar. And one of the reasons why uh, Trump and Kudlow and, and the rest, smarter heads behind the scenes, basically, told them you don't want to go down this road is you don't want to open a door yourself to getting anybody to believe that all else being equal, the U.S. would ever renege on its debts. You know, it's, it's one thing if the world had the ability, and it does not have it today, to overtly kill the dollar as the world's reserve currency. You know, this, this cockamamie thing was talked about where China's concerned, that's, that's suicide, that's self-inflicted. And I don't think that's going to happen. Again, anything's possible. So, you know, our problem with financing everything and papering everything over, Trevor, will be that when the day comes that the rest of the world is not supporting the dollar. When you're seeing other countries start to settle things first, oil, then other forms of trade in something other than the dollar. And when the U.S. Uh, threatens sanctions, which we can get away with now because that's what controls the banking system, they've figured out a way around that, too. I'm glad you did mention that, Chris, because I want to leave you with this final thought for me and get your thoughts um, from my idea that a move away from the dollar as the global currency really will never happen until the global oil industry detaches itself from the U.S. dollar. And it seems like every time that somebody tries, and history will show us this, anytime somebody has tried to detach its oil production from uh, the U.S. dollar, that uh, geopolitical <laughs> aggression ensues. Um, what's your thoughts on this? Do you think we can oh. have, can we have, do we, does the oil, the largest uh, asset uh, class in, in industry in the world need to detach itself from the U.S. dollar before the world detaches itself? I don't know, because the, is, is a percentage of the whole, and this would be a whole other discussion, we're already long on time, um, you know, oil is already less important in relative terms than it was. Um, that's going to continue. You're already seeing in fits and starts and bits and pieces here and there, oil t change hands between one country and another outside of the petrodollar or, or U.S. banking system regimen. That will continue. And, and in fact, the stronger the dollar gets, and the worse the global economy gets, the more there's an impetus for that to continue. So, and, and one last thing I'll leave you and our listeners with, that's the, that's the thing you got to understand. The rebellion against the dollar is not going to be juiced because the Fed is printing money like a drunken sailor and the dollar's value is going to go down because everybody else is doing the same thing. Frankly, the world would cheer if somehow or other the Fed could orchestrate a considerable decline in the dollar because that takes the boot off of everybody's neck that's got these external dollar-denominated debts that are killing them right now. 
What's going to move people away from the dollar is for the dollar to be too strong, not too weak. We're at that place now, and if if the powers that be can't keep these hopium rallies uh, alive and other shoes drop and we get retests of the lows for stocks or a more extended global recession or depression, that's only going to drive the dollar higher still as people rush for liquidity. And that, as much as anything near term, is going to start to strengthen the calls that we've got to have something in the world other than the dollar because it's killing us all. I thought I would leave us with a couple uh, book recommendations, Chris. I mean, you sent me some links to some books uh, yes. you thought it'd be good and uh, pertaining to this topic. And I've actually, one of the books uh, you sent me, I've actually read a few years back um, called The Brothers, which is the story of John Foster and Alan Dulles. Uh, probably you've never seen two brothers have the most centralized power in one family, even outside of the Bush regime. <laughs> Very true. Um, which is pretty fascinating. Um, the other book was The New Confessions of an Economic Hitman. Uh, I have not read that one. So you want to give us a little uh, thoughts on that? Well, look, um, other than understanding the game, my other best-known essay and 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 uh, lecture over the years the title of it trevor was the new imperialism and you know centuries ago we the, the western powers would send their conquering armies and ships to uh, backward countries most of them non-white countries and they would take the locals uh, into servitude they would take resources from the locals and so forth. And today we look back on that and it was colonialism and racism and all the rest of that stuff. We don't do things like that anymore with ships and armies. We send trade ministers and lawyers and bankers and accomplish pretty much the same damn thing. And the book particularly, and, 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 and Perkins' book, he was, you know, as he describes himself, a hitman. He was the one who went to different countries and helped to negotiate or strong arm deals all of which benefited U.S. corporations and were to the detriment of local people. Uh, the Dulles brothers, I mean, it, it, it's, that's, a, that's a whole discussion in itself, what motivated them to have the CIA go in and upend one country after another, going all the way back to the 1950s. Uh, so, you know, while the average American wants to believe that all the U.S. has ever done, is spread freedom and democracy and apple pie and, and, and peaches and cream the world over. The fact is that in our names, uh, directly or indirectly, uh, the deep state, the military-industrial complex, has by force of arms and muscle enforced U.S. dollar hegemony and American principles the world over. We find a country we don't like. We don't do like Russia was accused of doing in the 2016 election and buy a few ads on social media in those countries. We'll go in and kill a foreign leader or overthrow the government some other way. That's how we do things. And my comment that first triggered your interest that the world would be a more peaceful place, all else being equal, if the U.S. dollar was not the reserve currency, if that, if and well, when that day comes, and I hope I live to see it, we won't have the ability to do that to other countries uh, like the, the CIA and a deep state and corporate banking interests have done since the end of World War II. Well, and I think the philosophical question now, Chris, and I don't need you to answer this by any means, but I think just for our listeners is to consider, are we worse off or better off because of all this as U.S. citizens? So that's the question, right? 
So. Yeah, and that's got that's got a two-sided answer to it as well. <laughs> well, let's end it with a laugh because that was a long conversation. It's a conversation I've wanted to have for – it's been on my mind for about a week now here, Chris, so I'm glad you could join me in, in having that and uh, filling my mind and the rest of our listeners' minds with some more information, some thought-provoking ideas. So I appreciate you, and uh, we'll, take, uh, we'll take another time to discuss some, some gold stocks another day. For sure. All right. That's Chris Temple, the National Investor. Thanks for tuning in to Mining Stock Daily. We'll be back throughout the week with some more news briefings and market commentary.